0: welcome to our 63rd episode of two tankers and a cad we're your host i'm charlie and this is russell well russell i'll tell you this it's good to be back Um, my tooth is repaired, so I don't
1: whistle while I talk. That's always a good thing.
0: And and I apologize for missing, uh, episode 62. 62. Yep. But, uh, it is what it is. Yep. Um, today we are going to be talking about one of our most requested tanks. Uh, what is the correct pronunciation, Russell?
1: Yeah, we've got some help from Craig on this one. Yeah, Craig Uh, Moore. We'll add that into the podcast to what he told us about, a little yeah. bit about this tank. It's the Sturmpanzerwagen? Wagon?
0: V- yeah. W's or B's V's or something like that. V's in it.
1: German, yeah. The A7V. Hi, guys. Um, just heard on your latest uh, podcast that you're going to be doing the World War One German tank. A big mistake is that it's called the A7V. Um, it's called the Sturm. Panzerwagen Sturm, as in Sturmgesalz, so that means assault. Sturm Panzerwagen on an A seven V chassis. They built the chassis and they did uh, different things with it. One was a supply vehicle, which is the uberlandwagen Wagen. Uh, another one was a Flak Panzer on an A seven V chassis. Just try and make that uh, point when you do your um next podcast. Um, see you guys.
0: Now, from what I understand, the A seven V is just the chassis. Yes. And the metal and stuff they put on yes. turned out to be the Sturm Panzer Wagon. But we'll get yeah, more yeah, into that. Yeah.
1: And um, we really do appreciate Craig pointing that out to us before we got this put together. So and
0: uh what, great,
1: great guy. I mean, you, oh man. You can't you can't no, do better than he is. No. Yeah, it's and, and
0: uh, we're, we're going to try to put some snippets on this yeah. episode of, uh, Craig talking because when you hear his voice,
1: oh, and, it's great.
0: you know, <laughs> you, you just want to sit down and have a cup of tea and listen, you know, I, I hope one, one day that he actually does like, uh, books on tape, you know, yeah. that stuff you read. Yeah. So when I'm driving down the road, Heck I can just yeah. listen to him. Yeah. How cool would that be? I'd buy it. Now before we start I want to remind our listeners that we are getting a small part of our episodes uh, information from like the books and this particular episode uh we used uh, I used uh, Craig Moore's uh book called The Tank Hunter and like we said he's been an amazing friend to the show but remember Our episodes are meant to get you, the listener, to buy a book, to crack a book, to do your own research. Uh, Craig has some new books out there and is a true historian, and he needs your support by buying his books. So you can buy his book, uh, uh, research it yourself, and have it for reference. Um, You can get his stuff on Amazon.
1: Amazon Amazon.com, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's pretty simple. It is. And they'll ship it right
1: to your front door. And we're liable maybe to put a link. Oh, that's a genius idea.
0: Okay, so one of the main reasons we haven't jumped on this uh, A7V um, Panzer wagon <laughs> is because uh, Craig is the man. Yeah. And we know he listens to the show and, and we're like, we're going to have to say. I know. You are not getting everything that you need to know about this tank. Exactly. So, Russell, <laughs> let's jump off and tell us a little bit about this. In
1: 1916, both the British and French introduced tanks on the battlefield and gradually improved their performances and design through frontline experience. But still, even by 1917, the German high command still considered. They could be defeated by using special rifle bullets and artillery. Indirect or indirect fire. The impression that they had was mixed, seeing their breakdowns and apparent difficult crossing of the heavily cratered no-man's land. But the psychology effect on an unprepared infantry was such that this new weapon had to be seriously taken into consideration. The traditional view still prevailed... Seen infantry as the most versatile way to make a breakthrough, notably the famous elite assault squads or Sturmtruppen, equipped with grenades, small arms, and flamethrowers. They proved successful during the spring offensive and further hampered the need for a tank. Despite initial resistance against tanks, their first shocking appearance on the battlefield in the fall of 1916 led in September of the same year to the creation of a study department. This department was responsible for all the information gathering on Allied tanks and for formulating both anti-tank tactics and devices and specifications for a possible indigenous design. Based on these specifications, the first plans were drawn by Joseph Vollmer, a reserve captain and engineer. These specifications included a top weight of 30 tons, use of the available Austrian Holt chassis, Ability to cross ditches one and a half meters or 4.92 feet wide. To have a speed of at least 12 kilometers per hour or 7.45 miles per hour. uh, Several machine guns and a rapid fire gun. The chassis was also to be used for cargo and troop carriers. The first prototype built by Daimler, motoren Gesellschaft, made its first trials on April 30, 1917 at Balin Marionfield. The final prototype was ready by May of 1917. It was unarmored, but filled with 10 tons of ballast to simulate the weight. After successful trials in mains, the design was modified once more to incorporate two more machine guns and a better observation post. Pre-production started in September 1917. Production started in October with an initial order of 100 units, and a training unit was formed in the process. By then, this machine was known after its study and department, the 7 Ebelung, Brückenwagen, or the A7V. The Sturm meaning Assault Armored Motor Vehicle.
0: So the high command was really resistant to start their own tank program until the Allies let loose theirs. And then all of a sudden, they start screaming, oh, we need a hundred of these things. One of the things that I like to point out is in modern weapons, or let's even go back then. When your troops are on the front line and they're like, the British and the French and the Americans have these tanks and, and they're coming and our guys are literally freaking out. Now, the German high command generals were like, oh, no, no. When we spot them just simply have artillery knock them out, which is tactically proven, Yeah, but they're forgetting about the guy in the trench. Yeah. They're, they're watching it the coming. They're freaking out. That's this big metal monster running towards them. If your ground troops look at you and say, we need to have this, you better start moving on it right then and there.
1: Exactly. When the A7V was first introduced in the two first operational units, Assault Tanks Units 1 and 2, it had already revealed some flaws, notably the relatively thin underbelly and roof at 10mm armor, or .39 inches, not able to resist fragmentation grenades. The overall use of regular steel and not an armored compound for production reasons meant that the effectiveness of the 30 to 20 millimeter plating was reduced. Like contemporary tanks, it was vulnerable to artillery fire. It was overcrowded with 17 men and an officer. The crew comprised of a driver, a mechanic, a mechanic slash signaler, and twelve infantrymen, gun servants and machine gun servants, which included six loaders and six gunners. Of course, the restricted interior wasn't compartmented. The engine was situated right in the center, diffusing its noise and toxic fumes. That sounds kind of familiar. The tank we've already, yeah, covered. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. a couple of tanks exactly, that we already covered. Yeah, uh,
0: there's there's another thing that should have hit them. Yeah, the guys in the tank, the the ground forces are coming out they're choking they're coughing some are passing out maybe put on a muffler you know it blow the exhaust outside
1: yeah, blow it outside instead of keeping it inside maybe
0: yeah they're like well you know we'd have to make another hole
1: <laughs> <laughs> a man
0: when you're driving down the yeah. road and it kills your own troops maybe you need another hole
1: uh yeah The Holt track using vertical springs was hampered by the overall weight of the tall structure and its very low ground clearance and large overhang at the front meant very poor crossing capabilities on a heavily cratered and muddy terrain. With this limitation in mind, these first two units, 10 tanks each, were deployed on relatively flat grounds. The amount of ammunition carried was considerable further reducing the internal space around 50 to 60 cartridge belts, each with 250 bullets, plus 180 rounds for the main gun, split between special HE explosive rounds, canisters, and regular rounds. In operation, more shells were loaded, up to 300. During operations, a single tank was converted as a female with two Maxim machine guns replacing the main gun. As initially no engine was powerful enough to move the 30 tons of the A7V in the restricted allocated space, two Daimler petrol four cylinder engines, each delivering about 100 horsepower, were coupled together. This solution produced the most powerful tank of the war, with a speed even greater than British light tanks, including the Mark V. 500 liters of fuel were stored to feed this engine. But due to the enormous consumption, the range never exceeded 60 kilometers on the road. Top speed off-road was limited to about 5 kilometers per hour, or 3.1 miles per hour at best. Uh, The driver had very poor vision. The A7V was committed mostly on open terrains and roads, just like armored cars, where its speed and armament could reveal its true potential. Last but not least, the A7Vs were all hand-built and of great manufacturing quality and very high cost. Every model had unique features as no standardization was achieved. Okay, um, I'm not making fun of the Germans. You know, our podcast
0: uh, has ratings of one up huge in Germany. And uh, we're not slamming you. No. but uh,
1: you got to start somewhere.
0: Uh, Right, but typical German, they're high quality, Yeah, they're hand-built, quality manufacturing, and when you add all that up, that's a ton of money. Yeah. You know, it's totally German. It is. And totally inefficient for wartime manufacturing. Uh, It sounds like some people never learn, you know, like we had the American Shermans, we were printing them out like paper. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Soviet Union was kicking out, you know, their tanks. Yeah. Uh, you know, what, they produce one Tiger tank compared to 50 of ours. I know. Or, or the T-34s. Yeah. Russell, tell me about when it got its first combat, you know, and what were the results of that combat?
1: The first five squads of a 7 V's from the first assault tank unit were ready by March 1918. It was led by Hompton Grief. This unit was deployed during the attack on the St. Quentin Canal, part of the German Spring Offensive. Two broke down, but successfully repelled a localized British counterattack. On April 24, 1918, however, during the second battle of Villers-Bretonneux, three A7Vs, leading an infantry attack, met three British Mark IVs, a male and two females. As the two females, damaged, were unsuccessful in damaging the German tanks with their machine guns, they withdrew and left the leading male dealing with the leading A-7V, in what was to become the first tank-to-tank duel in history. However, after three successful hits, the A-7V was knocked out, and the crew with five dead and several casualties, promptly bailed out. So the very first tank battle
0: was one of these mobile fortresses yeah, and, and, and a British Mark IV mail tank. Mail tank. Can you imagine oh. just sitting there blasting each other? Man.
1: Uh, it it, it would have been neat. It would have been kind of neat to,
0: Uh, again, we do not glamorize war and and, you know, there
1: were men killed. But we're talking history here. That that's the part that I think's neat going back to that. To to be a time time traveler and to look back with
0: no worries and no fear, armchair quarterbacking and, and seeing them fight it out.
1: The first tank battle. Yeah.
0: That, that would have been great. That would have been amazing.
1: The disabled tank was recovered and repaired later. The victorious Mark IV roamed the German lines, creating havoc, and was joined later by several whippets. But after the murderous mortar fire, this attack was stopped in its tracks. Three whippets were destroyed, as well as the Mark IV. This attack included all available A7Vs, but some broke down, others toppled into holes and were captured by British and Australian troops. The entire attack was deemed a failure, and the A-7V removed from active service. The 100 machines ordered was canceled, and several were scrapped in November. There's a good point.
0: They had their first tank-to-tank battle, Mm -hmm. and they lost. Yeah. And two of them had broke down like you were saying. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the Mark IV being the breakthrough tank, brought in the, you know, whippets or what we were talking about. Yeah. And, and and they're in there pushing through the lines, tearing them up. But then German command says, oh, let's use our mortars and tear them up. And they did destroy sure. the Mark IV or a couple yeah. of whippets and yeah. pushed them back. So the Germans tactically and strategically were correct. Yeah. When you get these things slow moving out there, Your artillery, mortifier, whatever. Yeah. Um, A a simple guy running up that had the guts to throw a grenade in.
1: Kind of to show my age, it reminds you of the duck hunter game on Atari. Oh yeah,
0: it really (laughs) does. So.
1: As slow as these things probably were. Yeah,
0: you know, yeah. But the Germans' high command was like, "No, we can kill these. We don't need them." Huge mistake. Yeah. Instead of having these field tri- trials, finding out why it broke down, improving, you know, what it needed to be improved. Yeah. Because the British didn't stop theirs. The Allies didn't stop theirs. Nope. They were like, okay, we saw what happened. We're gonna we're gonna start making, you know, design changes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And who won the war? <laughs> uh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, let's let's go on, Russ. I'm sorry. I,
1: The commitment of all available tanks with poor results increased the resistance from the German high command. Some successes were achieved by the most numerous German tank in service during the spring offensive, the Bute-Panzer Mark IV and V. Almost 50 captured British Mark IVs or Vs were pressed into service under German markings and camouflage. They showed the advantage of full-length tracks over difficult terrains, They influenced, along with the few captured Whippets Mark A light tanks, the design of a new enhanced model, the A7VU. The U stands for Umlaufend Ketten, or Full-Length Tracks, a German-made but British-looking rhomboid tank. Uh, Did you hear the meow? Oh, Skyler. that's, That's one of the other cats. That's not even our mascot. She's probably sleeping today, but... Sorry, ladies and gentlemen,
0: that's, that's part of the, the <laughs> yeah. nuance of our uh, show is that we have cats come out Oh, and I know. pay attention.
1: Actually with lightning, um, she's only one of three cats that live here in this, under this roof. So yeah, the other two got one that's real vocal and one that's fat and lazy. Kind of like me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I wanted to comment, you know. Here's the German high command going, nope, nope, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. But they see the British Mark IVs and five, and they just repaint them and say, okay, the grunts on the ground say, fine, if you're not going to build these things and you're not going to help us out, we're going to take what we get and we're going to turn it around and put it back at them. And what's funny is if you look at World War II, they did the same thing.
1: Exactly. They yeah.
0: grabbed T-34s. Yeah. They grabbed Shermans. They grabbed whatever yeah. they could. They did. The guys in the field repainted them and yeah. put German markings on them and said, head them out.
1: Use what they get. That, that, they could that, find, yeah. that tells you something.
0: You know, when the American army goes forward into stuff, we'll, we'll press other tanks into service for right then and there. Yeah. You know, uh, like the American tiger two or King tiger tank that mm-hmm. we took, we weren't actually going to use that in combats as such. Yeah. We were using it to move people down the road.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure.
0: So, uh, yeah, I guess that what I'm trying to say is if your ground troops are grabbing the other guy's, Guns, maybe they have better guns. Yeah. You know, if, I can see that. If they're grabbing their equipment, maybe their equipment's better. Maybe you need to look yeah. and, and see what's going on. So tell us a little bit more about this A7 A7V U, you were saying?
1: It featured two 57 millimeter or 2.24 inch guns in sponsons and had a tall observation post similar to the A7V. Although the prototype was ready by June of 1918, this 40-ton monster proved to have a high center of gravity and poor maneuverability. However, 20 were ordered in September. None were completed by the armistice. All other paper projects, mock-ups, and prototypes of the Light LK-1 and 2 also laid unfinished in November of 1918.
0: So they started building their own light tanks also. Yeah. But by that time,
1: it was too late. It was too late, yeah. Starting late in the war, the Germans never had the opportunity to fully develop their tank arm, both tactically and technically. This was achieved clandestinely, but successfully during the 20s and early 30s. Nevertheless, this early and deceiving attempt was a landmark in German development. So... Russell, how did this, you know,
0: Sturm Panzer wagon actually get the name the moving fortress?
1: Well, during World War I, it was nicknamed by the British the moving fortress. Big, tall, and symmetrical with sloped armor, surprisingly fast, bristling with machine guns, it was a de- it was indeed more akin to moving fortification than a real tank. So, in other words, a Ford on a set of tracks. All right. As it was basically an armored box based on the Holt chassis, its crossing abilities were far from equal to the contemporary British Mark 4 or 5. With only 20 built of the 100 initially ordered, it was more a propaganda tool than an effective breakthrough apparatus.
0: You know, we talk about uh, propaganda and how important it is. And anybody says, oh, propaganda is not that big a deal. Oh, man. I'm like. You've got whole units of armies. That, that specialize. That specialize in propaganda. In yeah. You know, if anything that we've learned, and the Americans did. Yeah. Was the propaganda that Germany had used, and Itali- or the Italians. Sure, Propaganda is an important part oh, it is. of everything. It is. So when your people are lined up to see like a military parade, like we do our air shows here yeah. in the United States, yeah. they see these big mobile fortresses and the guys, the young men that are coming up are looking at these things and say, I want to drive one of those. Sure. You know, when you go to an air show as a kid, you don't yeah. look at it and go, you know, I'd really like to work in the company that made those tires. Most kids <laughs> yeah, want to go. Yeah. Hey, I want to work.
1: Fly the damn thing. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, Russ, you've explained in the past how the Americans name their tanks by their company letter, being the first letter of the name of the tank. Like in, like if it was Company F, the tank would be called Fury because you know, it starts with an F. How did the A seven V Crews named their tanks.
1: All A7Bs were christened by their crews. The Nixie, for example, took part in the famous duel at villers Bretonneux in March of 1918. Mephisto was captured on the same day by Australian troops. It is now displayed at the Brisbane Anzac Museum. We need that. Oh, I know. We'll talk about I, that I here in a second. Other tanks were named gretchen Faust, Schnuck, Baden-1, Mephisto, Cyclop, Imperator, Siegfried, Alterfritz, Laudi, Hagen, Nix II, Heiland, Elfriede, Bule, Aldobart, Nixe, Hercules, Wotan, and Prinz Oscar.
0: I, I know our German... Listeners oh, right now are Lord. going, Oh my God, Russ, you I butchered that.
1: Did not take German. German in school at all. Didn't you take Spanish? Spanish, yeah. Yeah, we've talked about his yeah. Spanish class uh, going to France. Uh, oh man. I'm like,
0: But what? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome stuff. But you know, I'm a quick stats guy. So give me the rundown of the actual tank. You know, I like to hear just the stats.
1: It was in service on March 21st of 1918 to October 16th of 1918, and it was used by the German Empire during World War One. It was designed by Joseph Vollmer, designed in 1916, and manufactured by Daimler Motor and Gesellschaft. There were 20 of them built. They weighed about 32 long ton or 36 short ton. And that was the battle weight. The length was 7.34 meters or 24 foot one inch.
0: That's a long game. Yeah,
1: it is. The width, about 3.1 meters or 10 foot two inches wide. It was about 3.3 meters or 10 foot 10 inches high.
0: (laughs) That's taller Uh, Yeah, my lead. It It is.
1: It is, yeah. It had a minimum crew of about 18. 18 guys. I know. And
0: and they're sitting there with the engines running and the exhaust blowing right in their face.
1: Coughing to death. It had armor of about 5 to 30 millimeters or 0.20 inches to 1.18 inches thick.
0: It's good against rifle rounds. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: The main armament was a 57 millimeter gun, initially with about 180 rounds, and later they piled in about 300 rounds of that. The secondary armament was six. 7.9 7.9 millimeter machine guns. Talk about rolling Man. fortress for moving fortress. Yeah. And they carried about 36,000 rounds of the machine Holy gun ammo. Smokes. It had two Daimler Benz four cylinder engines. It cranked out about 200 horsepower total. Had a power to weight ratio of 6.5 horsepower per ton.
0: Still made it the it fastest did. tank yeah, out there. I
1: know. The transmission was an Adler. The transmission uh, was an Adler gearboxes and differential style transmission, and it had a Holt track and vertical spring suspension. The operational range was about 30 kilometers or 19 miles over rough terrain, or about 80 kilometers or 50 miles over the open road. The maximum speed was about 15 kilometers per hour or 9.3 miles per hour on the road, And 6.4 kilometers per hour or 4 miles per hour cross-country.
0: Well, you know what? It's the fastest. It's the most well-built and most expensive. It sounds like a German Uh, car. (laughs) Before we go on to our second point, I wanted to bring up a message that we got. I guess we got an email from uh, Anna Karen Aerosmith. And uh, she wrote us a letter, and I guess it's her husband, Jeffrey Aerosmith. Yeah. He listens to our show, but he has a vision op- impairment. Yeah. And uh, he has Google at home. Yeah. Well, there's a phrase that I've used several times in past episodes yeah. of hey google mm-hmm. do this or something like that yeah well apparently uh like he said uh jeff has got some vision problems and when i say that it shuts off the podcast oh no yeah, so uh, uh, we apologize to jeff Yeah, you, you're amazing sorry and, and anna big shout out to yes. you but she said something that just drove me nuts she said, uh, by the way, you were wrong. The comet was a good tank. I take that as a challenge. I will do an <laughs> episode, and I will tell you exactly. We're going to do an episode on the comet tank. And I'm actually going to get Craig Moore and uh, uh, Francis Pullman and some of the other guys. I'm just going to send them little messages. Hey, on this comet tank, it was kind of junk. Um, I'm not saying it didn't look cool. It did look cool. But I think our next episode, I'll just give, you know, uh, yeah. Craig a little heads up. Hey, tell me why this uh, Comet Tank wasn't as good as, you know, let's say some of the others that were in mass production. <laughs> that way. And hey,
1: Jeff, thanks for listen. thanks for listening, man. That makes, yeah. Yep. It's folks like you that makes this show a success. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And uh, I'm sure. Uh, Anna will go to New Zealand and meet Tony's wife. And they'll both come over here and beat me with rolling pins now.
1: (laughs) I'll even buy the rolling pin for you. Oh,
0: See (laughs) see, ladies and gentlemen. That's my buddy. That's my buddy.
1: And then we'll charge admission for the show.
0: Oh, thanks. (laughs) Um, We're going to do a little something different on our second point. And people are going to go, what are you talking about? Our second point is the Queen's... Queenland's Museum in Brisbane uh, I want to talk about their uh, Anzac uh, legacy gallery uh, apparently like we said and you're gonna get more into it but uh, they the Australians got one of the you know stern pans Panzer wagons and I guess it was outside for a long time and then back in 2011 supposedly the, or I'm not supposedly but yeah. there was a flood that actually damaged it. And the people were like, "Hey, this is a really important this is the only one in the world We need to yeah, you know clean it up, knock the rust mm-hmm. off, get it all up, and put in our gallery, yeah, so now they've redone this entire museum, and I think that's what number two or number three on our bucket list oh man to yeah, that's, get over to yeah." We'll fl- fly by New Zealand, we'll pick up Tony, Yeah. then we'll fly over to Brisbane, and we'll go see like this amazing tank yeah. that we've see- wanted to see for Man. a long time. Since it's on our bucket list, let's talk a little bit about the museum. Tell us a little something about how they got their tank and, and about the museum.
1: The Villers-Bretonneux, a small French village that was recaptured by the Australians at the cost of about 1,200 lives. Uh, The A7Vs were involved in the first tank versus tank action, as we'd already talked about. The tank was named the Mephisto by its crew, and this 30-ton tank was part of an advance toward the French town of Amiens, resulting in the capture of Villers-Bretonneux and the temporary retreat of allied forces. During the battle, Mephisto became stuck in a shell crater and was abandoned by its crew. It remained on the battlefield for months before troops of the 26th Battalion, AIF, composed mainly of Queenslanders, regained lost ground and retrieved it, dragging the tank behind Australian lines under the cover of darkness.
0: You gotta love the Australians. Oh,
1: man.
0: You know, and you see oh. that it's from Queensland. Yes. So, the Australians, 1,200 men died to this. We're yeah. not making fun of that. No. These are heroes that did what they thought they had to yes. do. Yes. Yes. Um, they, but they went in and they captured it. And at night when the command staff, know they dragged they mm-hmm. drug this thing back behind their lines. Okay. Keep going, Russ. I'm sorry.
1: It was sent to Australia as a war trophy arriving at Norman wharf in June of 1919, where it was towed by two Brisbane city council steamrollers to the Queensland museum. Then located in Fortitude Valley, it remains the sole surviving A7V tank in the world. I'm I'm just loving this. Oh, <laughs> man. So, they run over,
0: you know. Yeah. And you know why they did it at night. They're like. Well, sure. Um, well, it'll protect against shelling yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I wish I was a fly <laughs> on the wall. Because uh, you know the Australians were just sitting around, you know, drinking a beer, you know, having a good time. And they're like, you know what? What if we stole that and shipped it back to our hometown? They're like, yeah, that's a great idea. So they get it and they actually pack it on one of their boats. There had to be some severe planning on this. That's why I want to go and research this
1: so much. 30 tons. I mean, that's.
0: (laughs) I I mean, I'm sure (laughs) that, you know, if I was in, uh, you know, war and I, I had a chance to come across foreign money. I've brought you foreign money yeah. from where I've traveled and you've sure. brought me money back. Yeah. You know, I enjoy handing out money yeah. to my friends and stuff saying, uh, hey, while I was there, I thought of you. Yeah, here's, you know, a $2 bill or, you know, a 50 cent piece. Yeah. <laughs> These guys <laughs> grab a 30 ton tank and ship it back.
1: Eventually, Mephisto was shipped to Brisbane and preserved at Queensland Museum and displayed now at the Anzac Legacy Gallery.
0: Well, I know that the museum is open, uh, you know, with all the COVID, but I think they're, you know, everything's starting to unlock yeah, a little bit. Yeah.
1: And I've uh, noticed that here in some of the museums in the United States. Yeah. Some of ours at, are opening you know, up.
0: Um, I think they're still pretty restricted in the UK, but, you know, yeah. United States, we're probably not the best at preventing pandemics. I know. If we ever had something really severe, yeah. uh, I think it'd be really bad. I know. But I know that the museum is open and located at the corner of Gray and Melbourne Street in South Brisbane. Because I've been researching our trip over there. Uh, Brisbane is the capital at Queensland. is a large city on the Brisbane River. Uh, clustered in its south bank, uh, culturally precinct. Our the Queensland museum and uh, science center uh, with noted interactive exhibitions uh, another south bank uh, cultural institution in queensland gallery of modern art among australia's major contemporary art museums looming over the city uh, they have uh, like the brisbane Bota- botanical gardens which would be amazing to go see yeah but uh, the main thing is at this gallery, I heard they have a really great cafe there. We can get an order of lamb pie. Have you ever had that?
1: I've never had that. No. And,
0: and then get some real Australian fish and
1: chips. Ah.
0: And, and uh, the Australian listeners are going, what's the big deal about lamb pie or fish and chips? We don't
1: have no. it.
0: You know, <laughs> uh, uh, uh what you consider chips, we we call potato chips, and yeah. most of the other world calls it crisp. I mean, we're still using miles, and everybody else is using metric. Oh, system. Well, I know. Uh, yeah, you know, It'd
1: be so much easier. I wouldn't have to read so many dang different numbers on this on the stats of the tanks. And <laughs> when, we would just use the
0: same thing as everybody else. They, when I was a kid, they actually tried yeah, to teach it. They tried now they don't. Yeah, they don't do it now.
1: I was back in about what the mid '70s, early '80s that they tried to teach us the metric system, and I remember having the meter stick in the classroom, but I, don't, I bet they don't even do that anymore. No they, I've talked to uh, some of the
0: professors and teachers. Yeah. they don't teach it over here. Yeah. They don't even teach what how to like give your signature yeah. or, or what we called cursive writing. They don't even teach it. Yeah. so you're not teaching measurements. You're not teaching how to sign your name, yeah, but but you can still play a basketball game and lose and still get a trophy because I know. everybody got a participation yeah, trophy. Right. What? I don't want to comment.
1: I, on, it's a rough can of worms to open up.
0: But we got to go to this cafe and get some lamb <laughs> pie.
1: And if you're ever in Kansas City, check out the World War I Museum and check out their little cafe with their crap on a shingle.
0: Uh, Yeah, and and their trench hash. Trench hash. You know, if we can ever trick Craig Moore or Uh, some of the guys coming over, we're going to take them there. Yeah,
1: that was interesting.
0: Get some food. Yeah,
1: Charlie and food. (laughs) We suggest before hopping on an airplane to fly out there, you call the airlines and see what you need to travel to Brisbane. And of course, contact the museum. Uh, We have found if you talk to them beforehand, they will show you stuff that. You normally would probably miss, you know, and that's one of the things. Since we're what we call
0: keyboard historians, yeah, you know, we would never claim to be real historians. Now we will claim to be keyboard historians.
1: I tell you what, if I was a millionaire, I'd probably have my own degree, tank museum, and
0: absolutely be a
1: historian.
0: But the whole. But
1: unfortunately, I have to still. <laughs> Work to live.
0: <laughs> Russell still has to put on a badge and a gun oh. and go out there every day and deal with, well,
1: the you, war on the streets, folks. Yeah. You
0: know. <laughs> uh, let's do our messages, shout outs, and then our Patreon stuff.
1: Yeah, I've got one more thing. I kind of want to do a, a little segment on current news. Okay. To do with armored vehicles and tanks and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'd Some like of the stuff that. that's out there today that's going on that may pique some interest on on folks i got my new uh classic military vehicle magazine in the mail yesterday and doesn't craig write for them yeah he does he writes a few articles and oh very very interesting magazine i mean if you if you like printed magazines and that kind of stuff go out and search for them on the internet and subscribe to it. It's it's awesome.
0: I just look at the pictures. Oh, I know. (laughs) Oh, and it
1: does have some really neat pictures in it too. But no, I wanted to mention that in this particular magazine this month, they uh, talk about that the BAE Systems awarded life extension contract for the Swiss CV90 combat vehicle. Wow. One of their modern combat vehicles. They're actually tracked vehicle a recently announced life extension program for the swiss army's cv9030 will keep the 186 vehicle fleet in service until 2040 and significantly improve the platform's ability in certain areas so they're spending some money to keep that fleet going. yeah keep their fleet going i don't think we've done an episodes
0: on that no we
1: haven't have to put that on our list all right and uh but no, they're wanting to, there's a lot of improvements they want to do, uh, mainly in the areas of optical, electrical, and electronic components. Um, they also include the installation of active damping technology, which reduces wear and tear and minimizes long-term repair costs and improves speed and ride comfort. So, give them a little bit more comfortable ride. And the other thing I want to mention, too, about the CV9030, several other European countries actually seven european countries use the use the CV90 as part of their armed forces armed forces and that includes Denmark, Estonia, Finland, Norway, Sweden and the Netherlands um, with close to 1300 vehicles in service in numerous variants
0: oh we got to so, yeah. we got to do an episode yeah, on we'll that we'll put
1: that on the list <laughs> and 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 I, this is something i've been wanting to do for a little while the news you know current news on uh, on but, some of the tanks and armored vehicles that are out there, and and what's going on today.
0: Well, this blatantly plagiarize their magazine. Yeah, well,
1: <laughs> that's why I shouted out. I hey,
0: it's an I, advertisement. Yeah,
1: it is. It's an advertisement, and I I shouted out to cite the source. So, yeah, so I didn't steal it. Uh, yay! That'll <laughs> keep our lawyers happy. Um,
0: but yeah, there's another good example yeah. of. Having something that works exactly, and maybe just needs yeah better optics, A yeah. little improvements. Yeah. You don't have to scrap an entire program if you know it works
1: exactly. Yeah, and that many countries wouldn't be using it if it didn't work. So
0: you know, we did that episode on the A ten uh, Warthog uh, tank killer aircraft, and how many times has that had to be defended? Yeah, by. Congress or, you know, yeah, congressmen exactly. and stuff like that, where they've said, listen, we know the pilots. Yeah. This thing is still in use and doing amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But you want to scrap it and start I, $57 uh, $7 trillion debt? Yeah. You know, it's ridiculous. It is.
1: Yeah. We'll get on to our messages now. Um, received a couple messages from some of our listeners. Always great to hear from Antonio Bernarda. Yep. Yeah. He uh, sent us a message with a link to a new movie, new film.
0: Oh, I've heard about this.
1: They're coming out
0: with uh, ad- adapting a World War II true story called Spearhead. Um, it's actually a book by Adam Mak- Makos. Yeah, M A K O S. And I've actually read that, and it's amazing. It's you know about you know a gu- German gunner and stuff like that. An American gunner and uh, their harrowing uh, parallel journeys to Cologne, uh, a German fortress city, where the Third Reich hoped to stop the Allied advance. You know, there are big battles there. Sure. Big tank stuff. You know what? I'd love to see that in a movie. Oh, I know. So we'll keep you up to date on that.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Now we got shout outs.
1: We do. Still got several folks with us through our Patreon program. Yeah, we want to thank our patrons um, through our Patreon program. Um, Kim and Eric Shearer, thanks guys for still being with us and your support.
0: We got Riley. Yeah. Outstanding guy. Yes, yes.
1: Uh, Razbaz, 18 still with us. Solid dude. Oh, he is. Antonio Bernarda. Thanks, Antonio.
0: He's always helping us oh, out. Oh, I know. Uh,
1: Slam Jammington. Alejandro Martinez.
0: ODS Theoron and of course Rick Schmidt.
1: Rick Schmidt. <laughs> we love Rick. Yeah. I mean, thanks you thank you guys for your support. We promise to do our best to get some more content out there to our patrons. Um, we, we really we've need been to slacken that. in that area and we do apologize for that, but um, we lead a couple of busy lives here and we're we're trying.
0: We we really are yeah, with we're, m- my book that I'm writing and you work in 12 hour shifts. Oh, man. It's really hard. Yeah. And, and you guys that are actually paying, yeah. you know, and yeah. helping us
1: very much appreciated. And I, I promise we'll put that money to good use. And yeah, we're actually be.
0: thinking about finally getting a service called yeah. ringer ringer.
1: Um been so looking act- into that to where we can do some actual sit down, sit down interviews on online and, you know, and hopefully, be my, my deal is with that, the reason we haven't done that yet, I've been looking for a decent service that's going to be pretty darn good quality audio. I right. don't want to degrade our podcast by having some really crappy audio. Exactly. And, and yeah, it just defeats the purpose. people will not listen yeah. if
0: you got a bunch of echoes yeah. and everything.
1: I know. I quit listening to stuff like that when they, like you said, echoes and it just, it's horrible. We're, we're, it just yeah. disturbs
0: you to listen. Yeah. So we're going to check out ringer yeah. and if we can get ringer to work, we're going to yeah. do interviews with Craig. Yeah. Um, we're going to try to get Ed and yeah. uh, Francis Pullman. Kay. And we've, we've, well, got a, we've got a, a whole
1: list. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We've got a whole list that we want yes. to. Yeah. But the, you know,
1: the list can almost be endless to be honest with you. I mean, but we
0: can. Getting stuck out here in the bottom part of Southeast uh, Kansas. man.
1: We are out in the middle of nowhere.
0: And, you know, and people are like, you know, I'd love to come see you guys and come out and have lunch. We 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 literally would have to meet you at the airport yeah. and party in Kansas. And the City. closest,
1: yeah, and the closest airports in Kansas City or Tulsa, so yeah, know, be cheaper to fly if, into Kansas City. If, but
0: if you bring them to Parsons, Kansas, oh, uh,
1: yep, not much to do here. Not <laughs> much to do.
0: We we uh, watch paint chip. Uh, forty
1: years ago, forty fifty years ago, was a booming town, but yeah. but that's coal mines. Yeah, yep. And Parsons, it was a railroad town too, so it's... We've still got a railroad here, and it's been pretty busy, but that's... We could go show them some windmills. Hey, there you
0: go. All right, pretty boring, but... Uh, Oh, lordy. But like, in our towns, like... uh, Big
1: whirly gig going around and around in the middle of a pasture.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It was like that uh, (laughs) farmer, uh, he said, government come out and put all these fans Uh, out here to cool my cows, and they really didn't need it. I know. Oh, I forgot... And it's the end of the episode, so uh-huh. no one will hear it. Yeah. I got a joke. Oh, man. There we go. Hey, Russ, what kind of drug does a frog take? I have no idea. Croak cane. Oh, that's oh so man. That's so bad. <sighs> All right. Well, I guess that's the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah, that well, would
1: be the end. <laughs> and I'm glad I saved that for last. This is Charlie. And this is Russell. As always, happy tanking and have a great week.